Father, I thank you again for, for this day, for this Pentecost Sunday, for this day when, when we celebrate that time that your Holy Spirit was poured out on everyone, everyone. Up until that time, it was reserved for special people. Now it's available to everyone. Father, we thank you for calling us together here today to worship you. We pray that your spirit would begin to move in a mighty way here this morning. That we would actually be able to see the movement of your spirit. Feel the movement of your spirit. Feel the warmth of his movement. If there are those in our midst today that are in need of healings, whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual, relational, Lord, this is, this is an excellent day. No better day than today for them to come and find that healing as your Holy Spirit works in and throughout them. I pray again especially for Shana, our singer, uh, as she recovers at home. We just, we don't know uh, the status of that situation right, right now, but we know that you created her. She's your child. You love her more than any of us could ever love her, and we just pray that you would bring complete, total, rapid healing to her and bring comfort and peace to her family. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay. Everything that happens in the book of Acts in the Bible is an unfolding of what God has said previously was going to happen. It all seems to be capsulized in the book of Acts. In the Old Testament, as I alluded to in that prayer, the Holy Spirit was given by God to particular people at particular times for particular tasks. The Holy Spirit was not given to everyone, but for particular people to do particular things. And then we assume once that task was over, the Holy Spirit's presence was removed. But in chapter 1 of Acts, the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit was talked about. That's the chapter before these two guys in the synagogue were talking about tongues of fire. It's referred to, this coming of the Holy Spirit is referred to as the promise, the gift, the power, the fullness throughout the book of Acts. And in Acts, there's much emphasis 
throughout the entire book on the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, Jesus says, you will, speaking to his disciples, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And he tells them they're going to go to Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then to the far reaches of the world, the ends of the earth, he says. They will be sent into the world with the gospel, but they weren't going into the world on their own strength. Not on their own. Otherwise, nothing that they did would matter at all. Nothing would matter. At Pentecost, no one would have believed. Not a single person would have believed if the Holy Spirit had not blessed Peter's preaching. In Acts chapter 2, the event that the world had been waiting for, waiting with great excitement, I might add, great expectation... Uh, Nicky Gumbel says in, in the Alpha Course, he says, it was like in the Old Testament, somebody had taken a champagne bottle and shook it, shook it as hard as they could. And in Acts chapter 2, they popped the cork. <laughs> That's what happened. The Holy Spirit came. Acts 2, 1 through 4. This is the New Living Translation version. It says this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The Holy Spirit comes. He comes. He filled the house. Great. What does that mean? We read that, we talk about that, we celebrate that, we wear red. But what does that mean? The only way to understand what it means is to understand the symbols that the Holy Spirit has given us to help us understand what it means. And I think there's two symbols for what the Holy Spirit does. The first one is wind. Wind. Acts 2 2 says, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. There was a windstorm, wasn't there? Was there a windstorm? No. No. What? It was a sound like that of a windstorm. They couldn't really describe what it was. It was like the closest thing I can... Have you ever heard people on TV after a tornado's come through and they said it was like, it was like a freight train was coming by? 
They can't describe the sound. They never heard that sound before. But it was the closest thing that I could describe it to was a freight train coming right by the front of my house. And these people say it was like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Now, I don't know whether the drapes and curtains and tablecloths and robes and everything else were blowing about in the room. I don't know whether that took place or not. But the sound was there like a mighty roaring windstorm. The first symbol was wind. And the second symbol was what? It was fire. Acts 2, 3 says, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Was there fire? No, the house didn't burn up. But the closest thing that they could describe to what they were seeing was something like it looked like a tongue and it looked like fire i don't know how to describe it to you but it it was kind of like one of the kiss guys you know except it was fire and it came and rested on the heads of all the people in the room and the reason i want us to look at these symbols and look at Pentecost in terms of these symbols, I guess, is because we get off the track inevitably if we don't look at these symbols that the Holy Spirit Himself has given to us. And we start with this contemporary preoccupation about speaking in tongues, for example. Other things, but, but that's all we talk about. I mean, if, if, we, if we read Acts 2... The one word that pops off that page at you is what? Tongues, isn't it? Tongues. I mean, it's just, or tongs, as this guy says, jumps off the page. Tongues. And we have churches that divide over this. For heaven's sakes, the Holy Spirit's not going to divide any churches over something like this. Let's get real. He didn't want us to divide over tongues of fire it's true the disciples did speak in tongues in other languages but the way that the holy spirit was presented to them was in wind and fire right a sound like a roaring wind And something that looked like a tongue of fire. So let's look at these. The first one, wind. The importance of wind as a symbol is, is evident linguistically in those old ancient languages. It's not so evident to us today. In Hebrew and Greek and, and yes, even sometimes in Latin, the word for spirit was also the same word that was used for wind and breath. So in Acts 2.2, 2, when the disciples heard 
Uh, a sound like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. No one who spoke Hebrew or Greek would have missed that symbolism at all. They knew exactly what was being said. The Hebrew word for wind, the Hebrew word for spirit, the Hebrew word for breath was and is ruach. Ruach. Can we get this mic here? Ruach. You hear the air? Ruach. You can't say it without, without some air coming out. Without some breath. Without some wind coming out of your mouth. And in the Greek, the word is pneuma. 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 And I even read in some uh, journals. Uh, well, you wouldn't be interested in that. But that's okay. But there, there, there's, it's a silent P on it. You know, we don't say P pneumonia. We say pneumonia. But some ancient writings now t lead us to believe that maybe they pronounce the P. In other words, it would be pneuma. And if it was pneuma, you get even more of that air sound coming out. So uh, it, uh, just understand that the word itself produces breath, produces wind. And there's also a rich biblical background for those two words, those words as well. Go all the way back to the beginning, as I love to do. How many times do we go back to Genesis here? We just turn right back to the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God. Hmm. Who is the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering I mean, think about that just a little bit. The Spirit of God was hovering like a peaceful little dove just floating back. And I can picture that. But I don't think that's how it was. We're talking about creation here. We're talking about the beginning of something. I think the Holy Spirit would be portrayed as God's breath. As something creative, something moving, something dynamic. That breath of God moving across those waters, stirring the waters, bringing order out of chaos. This breath, this divine life-giving Wind, if you will, is what was blowing across the waters of creation. And one chapter later, we hear about the creation of Adam. Uh, Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You see, apart from God, apart from the breath of God, man is just dead matter. Dead as dust. Nothing. Nothingness without the breath of God. In order for man to have any life, God, who is the source of all life, had to breathe some of his life some of His divine breath, some of His divine spirit into Adam to make him a living being. Only then did Adam become a living being. We hear the term born again. And we, we have it thrown at us kind of as as ridicule these days. But when Jesus was talking to this, this teacher of the law that came to see him in the middle of the night because he didn't want anybody else to see him visiting Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus told him, in essence, when he asked about uh, going to heaven, he, he said, you got to be born Again, from above. Born just like the first time. Wow, just like the first time. So, we can be, we may be physically alive without new birth. We can be physically here without new birth. Going around. Living, working, doing our little thing. But if we are to become spiritually alive, God must breathe His Spirit into us. You just want to live? Well, you can just live. You can just have life. You can go through the motions. And many of you are doing that. And many of you are thinking, is there... Is there not more to life than this? You know, this is, this is pretty... I, I don't know whether I want to go through many more years of this. Or do you want to be spiritually alive? You're not giving up the physical life. But do you want to be spiritually alive? And if that's the case, then you need to ask God to come and breathe His breath into you. Afresh. Anew. Become a new creation. Sounds a lot like the Spirit of God hovering over the waters at creation. And with the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we can have a new creation. A creation as important as, I would argue, as important as that original creation of heaven and of earth. You see, that heaven and earth will pass away. But anything that was done by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and afterwards 
is eternal. It will never pass away. It's here forever. Which do you want? You want them to dig a hole and throw you in there? And that's it? The lights go out? Or you want to blink your eye and open your eye and you're in heaven? For eternity! I don't even have to think about that one. I hope you don't either. The second uh, symbol is fire. Acts 2.4 says, Then what looked like flames of fire flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. <clears throat> Notice that this says tongues of fire and not just fire. I think there's a big difference that's an important difference for us. Tongues are the way by which we speak. If someone cuts your tongue out, you're not going to be able to speak any longer. We breathe out, our larynxes work, and we produce sounds. And depending on which area of the world you live in, you learn to produce a sound that others understand in that language. And you communicate. And when the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, enters a person to enable him or her to speak out some of what God has first given, that person talks about Jesus. That's what they talk about. Wind and fire are both involved in speech. Get that. Wind and fire are both involved in speech. What does fire symbolize? Well, in the Old Testament, fire symbolizes God's presence. His presence. Uh, in Genesis chapter 15, and I'm not going to read any of that. You can, you can go back. Abraham uh, and, 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 and God cut a deal. Actually, God cut a deal. It was a unilateral deal. <clears throat> and... They cut the deal in those days by, by uh, dividing an animal in parts, and the two parties would walk between the two uh, parts of animals, two halves of the animals. They'd have to walk through blood, of course, so it was a blood deal. And, and that would mean that they were consummating that deal. But Abraham was asleep, so God cut the deal. It was a one-sided deal. And it describes God's cutting the deal here this way. It says, it was done with a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. That's how it describes God as he passes back and forth between the slain animals. And then on Mount Sinai, a little bit later, God's presence was symbolized by fire. There was a burning bush, I believe that had fire, of course, if it's burning. That was God's presence. So what does fire do? Fire brings, first of all, light. It brings light. Light. Fire's a source of light. Think about this. In the ancient world, 
Light came either by the sun or by fire. Those were your only two sources of light. But when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the first experience that they had was was something today we call spiritual illumination. An illumination from within. And it was that that caused Peter to be understood in such a persuasive sermon that he preached. That was why he understood, Peter understood the Old Testament like he had never understood those scriptures before. I mean, he thought he understood the Old Testament, but once he received the Holy Spirit, those scriptures just came alive for for Peter. He was given the ability to preach, not just to say words, but to enlighten the people who heard those words. And I'm here to tell you, and some of you know this because you've been in other areas, Whenever the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone into the world, it's always, always, always brought enlightenment. It always brings light to darkness in those areas. It may take a while in some areas, longer in other, some areas than other areas, but it always brings light. Apart from God's self-revelation which is right here. You know that this is all that God wants us to know about Him. You don't need to buy another book at the bookstore. You don't have to have it interpreted for you. This is it. And He says, you better not add anything to this book. Or take anything away from this book. If you do, woe is you. And as we say every week in here, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for faith and life. This is God's revelation. His self-revelation to us. There's nothing else that we need to know this side of heaven about God that's not found right here. If it weren't for this, we wouldn't have the faintest idea of who God is. But when the gospel comes to those places, there's light in the darkness. People can see Blind people can see as if they've never seen as as they've never seen before. What's the other thing that fire does? Fire brings warmth. It brings warmth. When the Holy Spirit is at work, one of the things that we first notice is, is what we call a warming of the heart. There's a warming of the heart. <clears throat> it can start It can start in a mama's prayers when she's praying for her kids. It can start before 
the baby can even talk. Their hearts are warmed to the to the Holy Spirit, to the to the to be drawn to God. There's also a warmth when we pray for people. And that's one of the sweetest things I think that we can do is to pray for other people. But after our ministry team prays with folks during the service or at the close of the service, many times those people say they felt this warmth coursing through their bodies. They didn't know what it was, but there was a warmth. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working. We don't actually have to see what he's doing, but we know he's working. You may come up to have a, a back healed. You may have a back problem. Oh, I can hardly walk. And we pray. And there's something entirely different that the Holy Spirit takes care of. We've seen that happen hundreds of times. Something entirely different that you didn't think about or maybe you didn't want to disclose. You didn't even say those words, but when you go to your seat, that's taken care of. At Renovation Vineyard, I need to say that that we believe that when you profess faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, when you turn your life over to Him, when you trust in Him with everything you have for your eternity, there's no other way than Him to eternity. When, when, when you make that choice, that decision, you receive the Holy Spirit. Then. But we do believe in refilling constantly. I'll talk about that in a little bit, but a refilling of the Holy Spirit. I can show you that in Scripture here in a minute. Um, Luke 12, 49 says this. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth. He uses the word fire. What's he talking about there? I came to bring fire to the earth. You see, Christianity is meant to bring to, to be a spreading fire. A, a wildfire, really. It's meant to be a wildfire. Just, just out of control. Spreading everywhere. Sweep all over the world. And it has on, on occasion. There's been revivals in history from time to time that have swept the world. Sadly, I don't think we're in one of those revivals right now. Maybe in some parts of the country. Some parts of the world, yes. But not worldwide. But it has happened. In Acts 2, 4, it said, and everybody was present and was filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus says, 
be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what he means there is go on being filled. Don't just be filled that one time when you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Boom. It's done. I don't ever have to worry about that one again. I can check that one off. Now, he says, be filled. And what he means is, what that verb means is, go on being filled over and over and over and over and over and over again. We all need to be refilled. We don't run all the way out. Again, Nicky Gumbel, the, the, the uh, uh, curator, I guess, of, of the Alpha course, uh, talks, uh, the, the one example that he gives, or an illustration that he uses, is about a, a hot water heater. And it's a gas hot water heater, and it has a pilot light in it. And the pilot light is like when you accept Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes in and, and that pilot light's on. You know, you receive the Holy Spirit and the pilot light's on. And it's always on. Holy Spirit's always there. Holy Spirit doesn't go away. He's always there. But every once in a while, you need to fire up that hot water heater, don't you? You want some hot water upstairs. Don't want to take that cold shower. And then, boom, the hot water heater comes on. And we need to refill it with hot water. There needs to be a refilling. Go on being filled. Go on and on and on. So what's the proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit? If it's not speaking in tongues... If it's not like David dancing nude in the streets, what is it? When the Holy Spirit comes in power, we don't have to have some particularly intense experience. Some of us may, and that's great. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that idea at all. That's perfectly fine. But we don't have to. And that's certainly not the sign that you are... Now, a first-class Christian. You're not a first-class Christian if you speak in tongues and second-class Christian if you don't speak in tongues. That's not what it says anywhere that I can read. What we do need is we need to have a widespread, worldwide speaking about Jesus about Jesus we want to speak about him everyone will hear as the gospel spreads through testimonies if we're all obeying Jesus's command to take this gospel out to the world to our friends and neighbors first to the people at work I guess to our families first to the people at work to the people in this country and to the people around the world. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are, are set ablaze. Yes, they are. They're set ablaze. They just have this energy, this power, this energy. This, it, it rubs off on people around them. Sometimes almost too much, you know, but I love it. 
But those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are also setting other people ablaze. It's not just something they have. They set other people ablaze also. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are so intense and so meaningful that they can't keep the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to themselves. It's not something they can hide away. They have to tell other people. It's something they want to tell, want to share, have to share. So they go out and speak about Jesus. And as a result, these little fires start popping up here and there and there. And pretty soon you got a raging fire taking place. Fanned by the Holy Spirit's power, yeah. But a raging fire spreading across the country. As I said, we don't have that going on right now. But we should. Why, why don't we? Are we ashamed to talk about Jesus? <laughs> I wish you could see your faces. I, I wish I had a camera. Are we ashamed to talk about Jesus? Are we ashamed to say his name? No, we shouldn't be. It's the sweetest name ever heard. What a story that is to tell. And not just his story, but what he's done for me. What he's done for you. How he's changed our lives. And if they can look at you... And see how he's changed your life. Then why wouldn't they want a piece of that action? That's the testimony I'm talking about. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. There's still hope. There's still a fire. The Holy Spirit is still at work today. And you need to be a part of that work. How do you know if someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? John 15, 26 says this. Jesus was talking to his disciples and he says, When the Counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Jesus is going to send this Counselor. The Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. The Holy Spirit will testify not about himself, but about Jesus. And in turn, we will testify about Jesus. If someone is filled with the Spirit, they can't help but testify about Jesus to just about everybody they meet. God, I thank you for your word. Never changing, ever true. The place where we run for every answer that we may have a question about. I thank you for your self-revelation 
I thank you for calling us to yourself. I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to give us light for our paths. I thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to give us warmth in your presence. And Lord, I just pray that you would make us doers. It's not enough that we sit here and listen to this. Make us doers. Let us leave here today determined that we're going to tell someone, share with someone this good news. Just one person. Just one person. Let the fire begin with me today. In Jesus' name, amen.